Now, here's the starting lineup for the Generations Sports Podcast, presented by Calf Sports. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever it is, wherever you are, and welcome to the Generation Sports Podcast. I'm Jeff Kennedy, along with Bill Lunkovich. Hey, now. Dave Zorn. Why am I here? And Casey Everett. Well, we didn't have you last week, Dave, so we have to get you back on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, Dave, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah, we we I th- we missed you, kind of. No, you didn't. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I think we kind of did. Word. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's what's going on on the show today. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball wild card standings and updates. Take a look at what we think is going to happen the last week and a half of the season. We'll also talk Shohei Itani. Is he gone? Well, we think so. Mike Trout is on the blocks. What's going to happen there? Where will they land? And then we're going to talk comebacks. And listen, we see these big-time comebacks. Why do they happen? Like, what's the psychology of it? Conservative coaching? Player mindset or effort? Something else? We're going to talk about it. In the NFL, the Cardinals, well, they blew another one. So what good teams this week are going to bounce back? And what surprising teams that are 0-2 I mean, really, is it a desperate situation after just two weeks of the season? I think for some teams it is. Of course, we'll have our Stump the Unk, which is our opportunity to see if we can get one past Bill. Sports through the ages. Casey gets the honor this week. Woo! Betting with Bill. Bill's going to give us a couple locks of the week. And then sports around the mountain. Everything local that's important with Dave Zorn. And then our final segment of, of the day, Crunch Time, which is about a minute or so to rant on whatever we want. So let's get right down to it. Major League Baseball, guys. Wild card standings. It is fun. It is interesting. Let's start with the National League. And Casey, I'm going to start with you. Oh, man, this is a race, and I'm super excited about it. Of course, some teams have fallen off. The Giants seem to be, I think they're three games back now. They're starting to hit their peak. Uh, We all knew it would happen. The Diamondbacks. What a great turnaround they've had for the last second half after struggling in the beginning after the All-Star break. They've won four in a row, I think, and they're looking as strong as ever. Their pitching has been pitching really well. They're getting quality starts from guys like Ryan Nelson, who you never thought would happen. And overall, even Miami's playing well. It's a really, really fun race in the NL, and I can't wait to see how things shake up over the last couple weeks. Dave, how much fun are you having? Oh, great, because I told you about this about, what, a month ago? It was a month ago. I can't wait to play that cut in a couple of weeks. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, as of today, and we're taping this on a Wednesday, uh, the Diamondbacks are in that second wild card spot, uh, two and a half back of the Phillies in the, for the top spot. They're a half game up on the Cubs. The Cubs have the third, the third uh, wild card spot, and then Miami's back of the Cubs by a half game. The Reds are back by a game, and now the Giants are back three games of the Cubs, but three and a half back of the uh, the Diamondbacks. They finish off the season series this afternoon, um, so hopefully they win. But uh, And then they'll finish that off. And then the Diamondbacks finish with, with the American League. Six on the road, three with the Yankees, three with the White Sox, and then home against the Astros for three. So a little easier schedule, but it's still, they still got to go back east, so it might be a little tough. So so far, so good. We're, I love the race. Well, jumping on Dave's bandwagon, do, do you know who has the best fielding percentage in Major League Baseball? Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks. Yeah. That's, it doesn't get enough recognition. People don't really understand how important that is. Diamondbacks are playing very good baseball. The the rest of the league, it seems fun. You know, nobody's really going out and killing people. You know, they win one, lose one, win two, lose one. Nobody's really got a, a big head start here. Still, anything can happen. There's nine, ten games left. I can't wait to see a lot of good play. It's really 
pre-playoff baseball right now. It, it really is. In, in the National League, you had mentioned the Diamondbacks' schedule over the last week. And, you, I mean, they have a favorable schedule. But you know who has the easiest schedule? It's the Cincinnati Reds. They've got three against the Pirates at home. Then they play two. Then they play road games at Cleveland and at St. Louis. I mean, they could they could literally win all eight of those games. It's probably and, not going to happen. And not get in <laughs> if anybody else, everybody else wins, too. Well, if everybody else wins. Now, we talk about that, though. There are some tough schedules. Mar- Marlins have to play three against Milwaukee, and then they've got road games at New York Mets and at Pittsburgh, so also pretty easy. No one really has that tough of a road except for the Giants. Giants have yeah. seven games left with the Dodgers. And their other three are with San Diego. So they're, <laughs> they're, pretty they're much done. done. They're pretty much done. Well, and Bill, going back to the fielding percentage, for the Diamondbacks, the reason why is because they got some of the speediest outfielders in the game. I mean, you got Corbin Carroll, Guriel, uh, there's Thomas, uh, and then they just he brought made another back. great catch last night. Yeah, they Thomas. just brought McCarthy back up because he's having some hitting problems and brought him back up from Reno. Those four guys right now are just speed guys, and they're getting the balls. And, yeah, Guriel had a great catch uh, Sunday in the Cubs game. So yeah, that's that's not a problem. Is is fielding? Um, they just got you know hitting is just come and gone. Bullpen's a little shaky, but show me any other wild card teams that have that don't have issues right now. There's at least one. Every team has got something that it just isn't right just yet. So well, I, we would have said probably a week ago that Philly, there was no way that they could fall out of condition. They've kind of come back to the pack a little bit. Over in the American League, Al, what a great race in the American League, Bill. This time I'm going to start with you. Well, again, back to my point, um, anybody can still make this. Uh, Toronto's played fantastic baseball the last month and a half to get back into it, but Texas and Seattle are are struggling. They win one, lose one. The Yankees, I I heard a stat the other day, they played the best baseball in Major League Baseball since August 1st, but they were so far behind that they they can't catch up. But um, I'm still going to stick with the three American League West teams going to sneak in there and, and make this happen. Well, let me let me give you the standings as of today. So Tampa Bay's already got the number one spot locked up. Uh, Toronto has got the number two spot by a game over Seattle and Texas, who are tied uh, for that third for the third spot. Uh, and then the Yankees are seven games back of the wild card. They, they're going to have to make a, a insane push, but they're only six of the uh, six and four in the last ten games. So uh, I don't know if that's going to happen at all. But it looks like your AL wild card teams are going to be Tampa Bay, Toronto, and then either Seattle or Texas. Yeah, and I, I just want to put into perspective, we don't even know who's going to win the AL West yet. So I oh, think true. there's a lot of things that are going to flip-flop in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I And I was talking to Jeff before the show, and I was like, the Astros know how to win, so I feel like they are going to be the AL West champions. But Seattle always manages to win somehow. We don't know how they do it, but they manage to win in important games. And Texas, they haven't even been there. So in like how many years since they made those those runs back in the early 2010s? So I really think that this is the Astros division. One of the things that I Rangers, one of the yeah. things I like to look at is is re- remaining games and right. if things hold true. So Houston they've got three at home against Kansas City. Then they're, they're, they're on playing the, pretty decent ball right now. They're though. playing pretty decent. Yeah. Then they're on the road against Seattle and then they finish out with Arizona. But check out the Rangers. The Rangers have six against Seattle, and then in between there, and that's home and away, they've got the Anaheim Angels. On the other hand, the flip side, you talk about a tough schedule. How about the Jays? They play six home and away with Tampa Bay, and then their other three are on the road in New York or or, or at home against New York. 
they've got prob- the Jays probably have the toughest road, being that they've got to play six with Tampa Bay in order to secure their their wild card. Well, look at that last series of the season between the Diamondbacks and Astros. I mean, I think if you're a Diamondbacks fan, you want them to clinch something by the time that Houston series comes up. But it could come down to where both teams are playing for playoff spots in their respective leagues. That might be the best series going into the playoffs that we're going to see that last weekend. Okay, The, the Orioles are just playing great baseball. Yeah. They, they hammered uh, the Astros the last two games, and they continue to surprise. And I look for them to do something in the playoffs. Yeah, they're, they're a very good team. All right, let's talk Shohei Otani. Huh. Uh, you know, listen, um, he's probably still going to win the American League MVP and, and should. He's not going to pitch for a year. He, he just had the surgery. He will be able to hit all of next year. There's no question that it's going to cost him a ton of money. But I still think his value is extremely high just as a hitter and then knowing that you're going to have him healthy in 2025. Where do you, He's not coming back to the Angels. Where do you guys think he is? He cleaned his locker out. Yeah. And the, the Angels didn't even announce that. I think that's weird. And actually, Anthony Rendon... They said he actually had a – he's hurt again, no shocker to that. But um, he had a broken leg, and a fractured leg. It. And, again, the Angels didn't announce that. It's I don't know what's going on there with that organization. Yeah, with Otani, it was the reporters that noticed that uh, Otani's locker was cleaned out. They asked a question, and then their media relations people had to go to ownership or management and go, okay, how do we address this? Yeah, they actually they, they huddled had, around they, like, they what are we going to do? answer for yeah, it. I mean, yeah. that's just unbelievable yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm curious – you know, it's not, not going to be the same bidding war that it was going to be. No. But but what it has done is it, because he's, the price tag's not going to be so high, it actually gets more teams in the mix. It's still going to be $500 million. You think so? I, I believe that, yeah. He's After two Tommy Johns? He's yeah. had two now. Yeah. But his hitting, uh, he excels, obviously, in hitting as well. I, I, I'd be wa- willing to wager it's going to be $500 million. <laughs> All right, Bill's best bet of the yeah. week. Tiny's still getting half a billion dollars. Yeah. All right, how about, Get through that segment. How about Mike Trout? This is really tough because you have to think about who has the best farm systems. And I know you're going to say, oh, the Dodgers. And, yeah, they do have a great farm system. But he's a Philly guy. Like, he's from Philadelphia. Yeah. They have assets they, keep, they can give away. They have some loaded contracts that they can get away to make the room work. So, I honestly, I don't want to say it, but – because all my nationals go to the Phillies, but an angel, Mike Trout, could be a Philly. Yeah, that's a great spot for him because he's the, the Casey said he's from there. He probably he's probably the tail end of his career or approaching the start of the tail end of his career. Why not go back to you know friends and family and play for Philly, especially if Philly has the room that they've got to be the leader in this. They, they have arguably Angels have arguably two of the best players in the game, and they're they're not even playing five hundred ball and going to miss the playoffs for the ninth straight year. So. I'm not sure what they do. When they bring free agents, they never seem to work out. Their farm system is crappy. So we'll have to wait and see. But I think both are gone. I'd be shocked if Otani signs back with the Angels. All right. Let's uh, let's switch gears for just a little bit. Now, I want to get our trivia questions out of the way. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit of NFL football on the other side of this segment. But this is one of our favorites. It's our chance to see if we can get one by Flagstaff Bill. Flagstaff Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. It's time for Stop the Question. <laughs> I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. All right, Dave, I'm going to start with you on this one. All righty. So, Bill, we're going to, since uh, the NBA season's kind of, you know, we're going to start training camp soon. And 
I have a little bit of NBA question for you this time, Monk. So who is the only person in NBA history named MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year? Wow. Not in the same year, though. That's a tough one. You want? To, <laughs> I'll give you some options. You want some options? Elgin Baylor. Well, I was going to give you some options. Okay. Uh, you didn't take any options? I'll, I'll take the options, but I thought I knew no, that. I don't know. You already answered it. I, I, I'll give you some options because you're wrong, but I'll give you a second chance because I feel for you. Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, or Larry Bird? Okay, so the question was MVP. Who is the only person in NBA history to be named MVP, Coach of the Year, and Executive of the Year? And the four again, please. Uh, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, Bill Russell, or Larry Bird? Well, Bill, I, I Bill Russell. The, I know the answer to this. so I would have to say Bill Russell. Bill Russell? Yeah. Okay. All right. So. Jeff. Jeff's right. But. Oh, okay. It's Larry Bird? <laughs> it's Larry Bird. Yeah. Larry Executive Bird. of the Year? Yeah. Indiana. I, I knew that. Here, let me finish this up. Wow. He was MVP in 84, 85, and 86. Coach of the Year for the Indiana Pacers in 1998 and Executive of the Year for the Pacers in 2012. And by the way, after that year was done, he, he stepped down as Executive of the um, Pacers. I, I thought, it was only to come back the next year. After you gave me the four uh, options, I, I thought for sure it's Bill Russell. And it's a little before even Jeff's and I's time. But Bill Russell was unbelievable. He just dominated and did so many things well. Great question, though, Dave. Yeah. And, and played and coached at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Casey. All right, so who is the very first player in MLB history to reach 4,000 career hits? I, I think that would be Ty Cobb. Yeah! yeah. The kids go crazy. <laughs> 4,191? That was a big number for years. Yeah, yeah. it was. Bill yeah. knew that one. Okay. Wow. I knew that one. I didn't even Softball. <laughs> All right, I got one for you, Bill. Who's second? Uh, Pete Rose. Pete very Rose. good, very okay. good. All right, Bill, this one's an easy one, Okay. What Major League Baseball player holds the record for most consecutive games with a strikeout? Now, I'm going to give you a hint because it's only right for me to do that. Because you're going to think of guys that aren't going to be on this hint list. Disregard them. Reggie Jackson, Aaron Judge, Chili Davis, or Babe Ruth? Well, Babe Ruth struck out a lot. Reggie struck out a lot. Um, I don't know how many Judge does. And remind me, I want to tell you something about Acuna, Acuna and strikeouts afterwards. But Chili Davis doesn't belong on that list. I mean, just with the big new players. So I'm going to guess Chili Davis. Oh. <laughs> so get this. In 2017, Aaron Judge had one of the best rookie seasons ever, right? He hit 284, 52 home runs, and 114 runs batted in. But in June and July, he actually went on a tear where he struck out in 37 consecutive games, which is an all-time record. Wow. Chili Davis, by the way, former Phoenix Firebird. And Angel. Yeah. So real quick on Acuna, I'm looking up, because I have no life, I'm looking at stats last night. Acuna has more walks than strikeouts. Yeah. And he's about ready to hit 40 home runs. Yeah. I mean, that's super rare. Maybe 1% or 2% of the major leaguers, and they're not home run hitters, have that stat. Juan Soto. Isn't it amazing that coming out of of August, you know, with – Obviously, there was conversation about, you know, this was still a race for the National League MVP. It's not a race anymore. Ronald Cunha Jr. is the National League MVP for right. what he's accomplished this year. There's no question. have to believe that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's switch, let's switch gears. Let's talk some National Football League. So, Dave and the rest of the Cardinal fans out there, that was, that was tough on Sunday. It's tough to watch. You blew a, blew a big lead. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I think 
But the psychology of this is what I think is an interesting topic. Like, we see these big comebacks happen, you know, in sport, in football, you know, in basketball. And so, like, in you guys' opinion, like, why did they happen? Why did Sunday happen? Why do some of these, why did the Buffalo Bills happen against the Houston, um, Houston Oilers way back in the day when they came out? Why do these big comebacks continue to happen? Is it, you know, coaches getting too conservative? Is it players' effort? You know, what's what's going on? And I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach across the aisle, Bill. I think I'm gonna start with you on this one. Yeah, my my take on that is these are grown up men. You know, first of all, uh, how many times do you see a team that gets blown out and just hammered? And they bounce back the next week because they're grown men and they got embarrassed on TV and all their friends and all their family are watching it. I think that's a huge thing. They're professionals and no one wants to get embarrassed on national TV. Um, I, I just think, as an example, the Cards head coach, Dave, what's his name? I have no idea. Um, he, <laughs> he was a defensive coordinator for the Eagles last year. And in the, in the Super Bowl, the the Chiefs had the ball four times. They scored three touchdowns and a field goal in the second half. And then they, the Cardinals, the week before, blew it out to Washington. He's supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. He hasn't He's not done well. The lowly Washington football team comes back in week one, and then the Giants come all the way back from 28-7. I think it's just about embarrassment. They're grown men. They don't want to be embarrassed. There's probably something to that, Bill. And uh, I, I'll take it more of the X's and O's thing. I think a lot of it has to, well, the majority of it has to do with coaching, I think. And that is uh, coaches' ability to not only make adjustments pregame or halftime, but also say the right things to your, the, the team to get them motivated more or re-motivated. That also takes team leadership, too. I think it has to happen within the team. Uh, to have uh, somebody, you know, a veteran or someone's respected in the locker room to get up and, and tell the players, hey, we're getting our butts handed to us. Let's, you know, let's figure this out and come back and try to win this game. But I think a lot of it is just adjustments. And I think you using the Cardinals is a good point here because of the game against the Commanders, they had a decent first half. And then when the Commanders started rolling, they, there's nothing they could do about it. Same thing against the Giants. They had a commanding lead at halftime and even into the third quarter. And once the Giants got momentum, there was nothing they could do to stop it, which means the head coach of the Cardinals has no idea how to make adjustments in-game. None, zero. Real, real quick about that, next time you, you watch the Cardinal games, when you watch him, he's always the head coach for the Arizona Cardinals is standing there. He doesn't communicate with anybody. He doesn't have a laptop. He doesn't have headphones. He's never talking to anybody. I mean, isn't there decisions he has to be making during the course of the game? Yeah, and the and the Cardinals got way too conservative in the second half. And it's funny because I was I was out uh, running some errands with my boy, and I was listening to the, the uh, on air broadcast. And um, Dave Pash, the 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 great play by play voice of the Cardinals, said, "Well, I think uh, you're, you're going to see the ball in the hands of James Conner a lot in the second second half." Ron Wolfley, who we, who we both know, the analyst goes, "Now wait a second, David." You know, I, I think they need to keep running their offense and, and put a couple more points on the board and don't get too conservative. He was right. They got way too conservative and started running the ball and three and outs, three and outs, three and outs. Meanwhile, the Giants in like five or six plays, it seems like, were scoring touchdowns, and it got out of control. They didn't adjust their game plan during their, during the game, which if you're in a position as an NFL head coach and a coaching staff, you should be able to do. And they did not do that. I don't. After two games of seeing this now, I don't think they know how to. 
So and for this point forward, the next six games are brutal for them. So, so I've heard a couple things here. Okay, so so Bill, you you said yours went to you know they're grown men. So player intensity would be the question. So That's the part intensity of it, yeah. changes. Okay, and, and Dave, Dave, you went more towards the X's and O's. It's because coaches take their foot off the gas, so to speak. <clears throat> that works in the NFL, but in the NBA, with so when it's a players' league and you see these thirty-point leads evaporate. It's not so much X's and O's. And so we still come back to, is it effort? I've got a completely different theory. So do I. Okay, what's yours, Casey? I think momentum is a huge part of this game. And I think momentum, like, I don't think we really understand how momentum works until you've actually been in that kind of situation. And I've been in a soccer game where we're up 3-0. They get one goal back, they get another goal back, and you're like, what is going on? We've been playing exactly the same. Nothing changed. Maybe they changed something, but we've been playing the same exact game. We're blowing this team out just five minutes ago. What happened? And momentum is something that we can't really track. How do we define that? Yeah. Momentum. That's a great, great question. I think momentum is a a great factor. And listen, I think all of us, if you've played anything at all, you've been on both ends of a lopsided score. And there there are times where, hey, they're making shots and you're not. You're going to get blown out, okay, mm-hmm. unless you can stop that. But I've got another theory. I think that in the divine realm of this whole thing, God loves a great story. <laughs> <laughs> so there's Come that. Come and cliche with you, by okay, the way, Jeff. There's that. We mean to talk about that. Anyway, um, before we get to sports through the ages, okay, just – Kind of going back and this this NFL season, we had, we had talked about this. There are teams now that are that are two and zero. There's the one and one teams that are probably better than the one and one record, maybe the Bills or or the Chiefs, right? And then you have those surprise zero and two teams that we're going into week three of the season, and this feels desperate for some of them. Dave, I'm going to start with you, and that's the perspective that we're looking at. Um, the teams maybe that are one and one that they're way better than that. Like if, 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 if they should be two and oh, but how about those zero and two teams that are in a desperate situation? You know, I, I, I start with it with my thought as a, with a question. I wonder how many of those teams, one and one and zero and two teams didn't play their starters in the preseason. Um, I wonder if that has some layover to that because they didn't get any, they didn't get any reps. They didn't get any like, game reps. And maybe they're starting out slow because they were looking to fill out their bench more than they were getting their starters reps. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm wondering if that there's a percentages out there maybe, you know, they're looking at. Is anybody surprised that Denver Broncos are 0-2 with Sean Payton as head coach? I'm a little bit, but that's still the Denver Broncos. I mean, there's still a bad offensive line. They got an aging Russell Wilson who, who has had bad offensive lines in front of him the majority of his career. So maybe it's not a surprise that they're 0-2. The Raiders 1-1 is surprised that they're 1-1. In a positive note for you, kind of. Uh, I mean, uh, Jimmy Garofalo has now in, uh, introduced the league on how to fake a headshot. So we'll, maybe we'll see more than those, more of those coming up as far as selling selling that penalty to refs. Teams that are one and one is a lot better than zero and two. I mean, well, yeah. a, a whole lot better. And and wasn't this, you a couple weeks ago they had a percentage out of how many teams make the playoffs in the zero and two start? Yeah, wasn't it like five percent or something like that. It's a real low number. Yeah, okay, so, so on that note, Cincinnati Bengals zero and two. Minnesota Vikings, 0-2. These are teams projected as playoff teams. Casey? Yeah, so I saw this statistic the other day about the Vikings. And, yes, they always have a top five offense in the league. But if you go to their defensive numbers, their points allowed per game are always – it's been – for the, since Kirk Cousins has gotten there, has been 
25th or lower since he's gotten there. They've never had a top five defense, and it's starting to show. And Kirk is obviously getting older. He's ha- he's not having bad games. It's just they're letting up too many points. And when do you say that is enough from a quarterback standby where you're like, we're not going to win games with this defense. We need to do something. And with the Bengals, Joe Burrow, I don't know what happened to him. Ever since he signed that contract, he's a different player. He's hurt. He's hurt right now. Yeah. And I, that you don't go from being one of the elite quarterbacks in the league and have those first two performances. So I think the Bengals, who are one of the 0-2 teams, they'll rebound as soon as Joe's back. So, I mean, we don't know when that back... We don't know. They, they, back to what point? I mean, does he have to be 100%? Because he might not be that all season. They went through the schedule and they said if if they can eke out a couple wins here the next four games to the bye, they'll be okay. But they, Cincinnati normally starts slow, but... Who thought the Patriots would be 0-2 or the Vikings or the Chargers? There's the the usual losers, Texans, the Bears, the Panthers, and the Cardinals. Not a shock, but 0-2, 0-3 is a death sentence. You're pretty much done. Oh, the Cardinals will be 0-8 by the time. I don't think there's a a game on the schedule they can win at this point because the next, like, four games are against, like, the Cowboys and the teams that are are legit playoff teams. But this is where they want to be. And I thought going into the season – be competitive, but lose because you want to get that top draft pick, which is not going to be the quarterback they think everyone thinks it's going to be for them because the kid may not come out. Um, but you want to get those high draft picks. This is a rebuilding project. I think the GM is actually doing a good job with the Cardinals. It's just uh, the coaching staff is inept. Um, they just don't know what they're doing. Uh, but and there's no better tank quarterback in the NFL than Josh Dobbs. You got Josh Dobbs on your <laughs> roster, you will lose and not make a playoff game. He played pretty well, though, in, in the, the first, first half. half. Again, but uh, the adjustments were not made yeah. by anybody on that team. And yeah, I, I and I, I'm glad Casey brought up momentum because there is something to that. But you can adjust to it to try to slow it down and maybe get a turnover and totally turn the situation around. They didn't even they didn't even bother to try against the Giants. It was a, yeah, it was an embarrassment, but not surprised and. and I tweeted out literally when the Giants were down two touchdowns that the Giants were going to win by a field goal at the end of the game. I just didn't think it was going to be 12 seconds left. I thought it was going to be three. And, oh. and what happened? He won it with a field goal at the end. Oh, and three is going to get a lot of coaches and GMs fired. That, that's how important this game is this week. Yeah, no, there's no question. So, listen, there's two teams that are 2-0. and They're 1-2 and in the power rankings, and really it could, it could flip-flop. Dallas Cowboys this week are, are number one in the power rankings, San Francisco 49ers. Number two, they look clearly better than everyone else, okay, because I don't see weaknesses on either one of those teams. Both sides of the ball, they're excellent. You know, San Francisco, they can run the ball. They've got, you know, great players at all the skill positions and a quarterback that doesn't lose games for you. Clearly, they are the class, the cream of the crop. But in that next tier, the the one-on-one teams, who do you think belongs in that conversation with San Francisco and with Dallas right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I might be too early to, to tell. I mean, we all thought Jacksonville was going to be that team, but they're kind of off to a, a, a rickety start too. Um, man, I don't know. Maybe Buffalo. But Isn't Jacksonville 2-0? Are they 2-0? They lost to the Chiefs this Oh, they week. lost to the Chiefs. Yeah, I was going to say. And then the Chiefs are 1-1, but they don't look as solid as they have been. They barely even played Travis Kelsey over the weekend, too. Yeah. yeah, but so I think well, I think your Super Bowl champion is one of the two teams you just said. But who comes out of the AFC, that's the biggest crapshoot. But I don't think they're 
right now two touchdowns within either San Francisco or Dallas. So, th- so in your opinion, there's not a one and one team or anyone else that's even in in their class. After we're, we're talking two weeks into the season it's, it's, right now, it's a it's a tier one, which is which is I I put San Francisco in front of Dallas actually, and then there's a drop off to tier two at this point, and that's just quality of play. I forget the records. I'm just what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. it's a quality of play issue, and there's no one close to. To Dallas or San Francisco right now. To, to answer your question, Jeff, I think Buffalo absolutely at one on one will will be there. But there is a lot of parity in the league right now. I think San Francisco, and I hate saying this, Dallas or the elite teams are going to win 12, 13, maybe fourteen games. But there's there's going to be a lot of nine and eight records, ten and seven. It's there's anybody can almost beat anybody else depending on where that game's being played. Baltimore Ravens are they anywhere near? That level, and, 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 and listen, we we all agree, San Francisco and Dallas. But what about what about this Ravens team? The last I checked, they've been pretty good two weeks into the season. Yeah, they definitely have, and Lamar seems to be back into form. I mean, they had a squeaky game this past weekend. They played the Bengals, and they lost by or they won by three. So it, it was a closer game than I was really expecting. Um, especially the way that Cincinnati came out last week. But yeah, the Ravens have looked really good. Miami. Their offense is super dynamic, and I really like what Tua's doing with their offense. I mean, Tyreek Hill, the first game, dropped 200 yards in his first game with two touchdowns. Jalen Waddell looks to be on trajectory to have another amazing year. So, I mean, Miami might be up there, too. They've looked fantastic through the first two games. Baltimore has is a great organization. They win every single year. If Lamar stays healthy, which has been an issue for him the last few years, they could cause some damage in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still on the fence with Baltimore, but that, that they may be. I'll, I'll put them top five, but again, there's there may be the the class of that second tier, uh, but they'll be in, they'll be in the conversation who wins the AFC for sure. But uh, again, it's a big drop off from the top two. And here's Miami at two and zero, oh, and they barely barely get an honorable mention. I think most of us are just kind of waiting to see. What's going to happen? Yeah, it's still kind of early. Still like, the, early. but you can't talk like the Saints being two and zero. Look who they played. Look who, like you yeah, know, you, like you can't put the Saints on an up, upper echelons when they've played two of the worst teams in the NFL. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and you know, we did. I mean, you know, Casey, we hadn't mentioned them. I know, but that's what. <laughs> but it's like that same kind of either, thing. By the way, huh? They didn't look good either. By the no, way, no, that so they either. barely score any touchdowns. They get field goals the whole game. That's great. <laughs> All right, let's. Um, good job, guys. Let's can, can I add something right quick? Sure. It just popped in my head. I know it's not on our list, but um, over the weekend at the NU game, I talked to uh, Louis Aguilar, former NU kicker. Um, he's uh, just came out of the USFL. I asked him, should you be in camp? And he goes, you know, I got a story about that. The Denver Broncos were going were gonna to sign him out of the USFL, but the Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys showed some interest in him bringing him to camp. He, because his agent was higher on the Cowboys, the Broncos went away. He fired his agent, <laughs> got a new guy, and uh, he says that uh, he thinks he's on a short list in case a, a kicking situation happens in Denver where they were going to make a change, that he thinks he's going to be invited uh, up to the Broncos and, and try out, at least try out and maybe make the Broncos. So um, I wanted to pass that along. I know some locals there, but um, I love the kid. He's a great dude. He's, been, he's had a great career in the USFL. And for kickers, it's not much of a difference between those leagues and the NFL. It's just to try to keep, just keep you competitive and keep you going. Uh, so my best to, to Louie. Hope he gets hooked up with the Broncos or, so, or anybody else, really. All right, good job. All right, let's um, sports around the mountain, or not sports around the mountain, sports through the ages is up next. Casey got the honors this week. This is one of my favorite segments. We get to take a trip down memory lane. Here's Casey with sports through the ages. 
This week's Sports Through the Ages spotlight is on Vladimir Guerrero. No, not the one on the Blue Jays, but his father. Vladimir Guerrero was born in Nizao in the Dominican Republic in 1975, and he started playing baseball at a young age, where he would play with obscure objects to be able to hit any pitch at any time, and that carried on with him in his professional career. We all know Vladdy's time with the Angels, where he won an MVP, was a multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time Silver Slugger Award winner, and Home Run Derby champion. But Guerrero started his career in Montreal with the Expos, where he had spent the first eight years of his career. He was an All-Star four times while on the Expos, and his average never dipped below 300 while on the Expos. The career 318 hitter, which almost seemed impossible because of all the bad pitches he would swing at, but for some reason every pitch he hit seemed to fall. Vlad was a free-swinging bad ball hitter, and he could literally hit any pitch that was thrown at him. Guerrero also had a cannon for an arm. He could throw a guy out at third on a line drive from right field. He could also be at the right center field wall and throw the ball on a line to home plate. He had one of the most insane arms I have ever seen. Vlad also had some speed in his early days, but he did get caught stealing a bunch of times too, which made it exciting. He was a real five-tool player, and it was the first five-tool player I have ever seen as a kid. He made baseball fun and exciting and sometimes infuriating, but Vlad always seemed to come through when the Angels needed him. While he did end his career with the stint with the Rangers and Orioles, he will always be remembered as an Expo or Angel. When baseball seemed to be dull, Vlad was the guy to do the unthinkable. Now we have the pleasure of seeing his son play in the MLB and his career is already off to a good start. I am Casey Everett, and this has been your Sports Through the Ages Weekly Spotlight. The 15th active player with 2,000 or more hits, a 248th in the history of the game. Down the right field line, opposite field, toward the foul pole, and it hit the foul pole! Home run number 400 for Vlad Guerrero, and it gives the Angels the lead! in the seventh inning. All right, Vlad Guerrero. Good job, Casey. Yeah, Sports not, through the ages. You know, forgot about Vladdy. Well, you know, we all, bad ball hitter, right? And you, you actually couldn't throw a pitch bad enough that Vlad wouldn't swing. But I didn't remember that he had some speed early in his career yeah. also. No, with the Expos, that. yeah. He was a he stole 40 bases in a year. Sometimes in, as an Expo, he had 30. But like you look at the numbers, and I was looking at him this morning, and he, he would have 40 stolen bases but caught like 25 times. <laughs> so it was like he wanted to steal bases, but like he had some speed but got caught a lot. Well, Vladi and I think another bad ball hitter, Roberto Clemente, yeah, they swung at bad pitches, but they hit him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really hard to do when the ball's three inches off the ground or way outside. Absolutely. You got a good Vlad story, Dave? I, I just, it was weird. Every time he came to the plate, you wonder how he could even hit. I mean, he had this weird batting <laughs> stance and the swing through, but man, I mean, that had power and, of course, his speed. And you see, obviously, his son is a little different. He's got a bit more power, but it, you see Vlad Sr. in him quite a bit too and uh but uh no there was uh, he, he at the time he was probably one of the most dangerous players in baseball yeah vlad jr has way more plate discipline yeah, than, vlad, than, true, vlad, yeah. than vlad yeah. senior kind of by a to. lot yeah. yeah by a lot anyway great job casey vlad guerrero really appreciate bringing that you know sometimes you tend to forget about some guys yeah and that's the joy of that segment all right it's uh time to get our our locks of the week right yep all right 
There's a bunch of huge college football games this week, and um, we can't cover them all. So we're, we're going to go ahead and start with Florida State minus two and a half at Clemson. I think Florida State was looking ahead last week. Um, you know, Duke hammered Clemson week one and then beat up uh, two patsies the next two weeks. We'll see which Seminole team shows up. The one that destroyed LSU or the one who barely beat Boston College. I like Florida State minus two and a half. Uh, Pac-10 game, Pac-12 game, excuse me. UCLA at Utah. Utah is great, especially at home. But uh, there's something about UCLA and their new, their star freshman five-star quarterback, Dante Moore. This kid is special. No update on Cam Rising, the Utah starting quarterback who's missed the first couple games. I think the Bruins keep it close here. I'm going to take UCLA plus four and a half. Arkansas at LSU. LSU defense is ferocious. BYU beat Arkansas last week. That doesn't happen very often. Um, it's nighttime in Baton Rouge. is very difficult to play in. I think LSU routes the Razorbacks. Uh, another Pac-12 game, Washington State at Oregon State. There's a lot to like about Washington State, and I don't think I've ever said those words before. <laughs> Oregon State hasn't played anybody. I'm going to take the home dog, one of my favorite things to do in sports betting. Washington State Cougars to win outright. And I, I, I think uh, the over is a really good shot here at 56. Both offenses can move the ball. The final game is um, USC minus 35 at ASU. ASU's program is kind of left in shambles by previous head coach Herm Edwards. They got shut out last week by San Diego State. That's that's an embarrassment. Um, they've lost their last four games versus Division One schools. ASU has. Um, they got shut out, as I just mentioned. I think uh, USC averages about 60 points a game. It's It's going to be much of the same here. USC routes in, in the desert. Uh, the final game for colleges, another huge game this weekend, Notre Dame plus three at Ohio State. I don't think you Ohio State's really played anybody yet. Notre Dame's crushed a, a pretty decent North Carolina State team. They've got the, the new quarterback there. He's a Heisman hopeful. I think the difference is Sam Hartman. I'm going to take Notre Dame plus three at home. I love the home dogs. I think they can win this game outright. All right, very good. So, so a couple home dogs that you like, Washington State, and Notre Dame, and then you're going to lay the 35 USC against ASU. I know you don't like those big numbers normally. ASU's that bad, huh? They're struggling, and Dave could probably touch on that more than me, but there's no way that you should lose at home, shut out to a marginal San Diego State team. SC's one of the best teams in the nation. Their offense is basically unstoppable. I don't see how ASU can, can do that. Yeah, a couple things out of Tempe. Uh, their quarterback, I think they're, they're going to have a new quarterback this week. They've they've come up with some kind of phantom injury for Rashada. They did, oh, he's injured. Well, what is it? Uh, he's injured. <laughs> That's a bit about they it. They don't share information in colleges no, about yeah. injury reports very much. No, so there's going to be another quarterback that's in there, and that quarterback to be named later. Uh, I did notice also Bo Baldwin was calling plays for ASU, uh, the offensive coordinator, for the first two weeks. He's a guy mastermind Eastern Washington's offense. He was uh, uh, Cooper Cup's college coach at Eastern Washington. Now Dillingham is taking over play calling this week, who was the offensive coordinator at Oregon before he got the job at Arizona State. I think they score some points. And by the way, they got shut up by Fresno State. Oh, excuse me. They got beat, who beat them in the bowl game even worse before. But I think I'd be surprised if, if ASU doesn't score 35 points. Man, I have to think about that one. I, I I, I don't know. And by the way, in that Fresno State game at halftime, it was a ghost town. All the student section left. 
When you lose the student section, you've got issues. So we'll see what happens this we, weekend. We didn't touch on that. I, I'm going to get your guys' opinions. Uh, another big game this weekend is um, Colorado has to go to Oregon. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? It's Autzen is a tough place to play. If that game was in Colorado, it would be a different point spread. Um, but without Butler, um, it's going to be tough. Um, I don't know if I buy the, the – the, was it 21? Is 21 that, and a half, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that, but uh, I, Oregon's going to win going away. What's the point spread? 21 and a half. 21 and a half, that's a big spread. And I, I don't believe – so you asked me my opinion. I think Colorado covers the spread. I don't think they win the game, but I think they keep it within the 21. Points. The wide receiver, he's the key to their success. He's out. He got cheap-shotted last week by yeah. a Colorado State player, and I, I don't see how they can hang with him um, for – in this 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 environment, it's yeah, it's Dave said, a really really hard place to play. Okay, so you you're laying the twenty one. Huh? I'm probably not going to bet that one. Right, but you <laughs> <will. laughs> stay away from it, Casey. Yeah, um, brutal. I think they're going to get smoked by Oregon. Whether it's a twenty one point spread, I'm not sure, but I think Oregon's going to dominate that game. Bo Nix has been incredible to begin the season. I don't know if I think this is where Dion Magic kind of runs out. By the way, a former. Uh, um, uh, Arizona Heisman uh, Trophy winner, uh, Tommy Thompson, the quarterback at Oregon. Great arm, great presence, good kid. Um, really has that offense for humming at Oregon. I, I, it's just Autzen is a different It's a different beast when teams come in there. And knowing that Dion and all the flash around Colorado, they're going to be extra hyped too. Okay, we will see. All right, it's time for to bring it back local. Dave Zorn, sports around the mountain. Yes, uh, we got a special uh, little interview at the end of this, so I'll, I'll make it quick through the rest of this stuff here. NEU is now uh, 0-3 on the season. They fell to Utah Tech 50-36. to They had two turnovers in the first half, returned for touchdowns in a two-minute in a three-minute span. They get 18th-ranked Montana into the Sky Dome this week in a game I think NEU must have to keep fans' attention really on the program this year. It's, it's not good. NEU will have another tough game next week. They're at fourth-ranked Sacramento State, coached by former NEU defensive coordinator Andy Thompson. Sac State went into Stanford last week and beat the Cardinal. Tough road game ahead for NEU coming up next week. High schools, the Coconino Panthers were trounced by the Arcadia Titans last Friday in a game where turnovers were a factor as well. And what Coach Gary Cook told us uh, just yesterday, they got beat by a better team and a great quarterback, which is true. The Arcadia's quarterback had a great game. They'll play a post and butte on, uh, on the road on Friday and return home to take on Bradshaw Mountain next Friday to kick off region play. Flagstaff got their first win of the season, beating Desert Sunrise on their homecoming 24 to nothing. They're at Copper Canyon this Friday before returning home to face Mingus in the Dome next Friday as well. By the way, after the game, police arrested two people in the parking lot at Desert Sunrise High School. One was waving around a gun and, a, and an approaching group of people. Thankfully, no one was hurt, especially Casey and I, which were we were in the middle of that. Yeah, we were at the game. <laughs> we were wondering why there was like 20 cop cars at the school, and we found out later why. Um, the Flagstaff uh, girls flag football team, uh, they finally lost the game. They lost uh, Tuesday night to Williamsfield down in Phoenix, 20-13. to It was their first loss of the season. They're 5-1. and one. However, the game they, they went to 5-0, and oh, they beat Campo Verde. After that game, I caught up with head coach Tyrone Johnson to talk about the season and the team's makeup this far. All right, Coach Tyrone Johnson of the girls' flag football team at Flag High School. And, man, it's just kind of coming together. you get got uh, athletes from all aspects of Flagstaff High School out here playing. and Yeah, no, it's definitely coming together. And uh, the defense is really what's uh, coming together in the sense of being able to step up to the challenge, being able to, you know, kind of match their speed, their arm, us being able to put that pass rush 
on the quarterback and, you know, create some hurries. And so uh, that's coming together offensively. We got exposed a little bit as to, you know, what we need to work on, being able to hit the short pass, the quick pass, making sure that if we go over the middle that there's not somebody spying. So, you know. You know, you're getting girls out that, you know, are definitely in other sports. Obviously, you got a lot of the basketball players out here, mm-hmm. a couple soccer players, that kind of thing. Uh, is, are they taking this like – this is a, a different way to get in shape before the winter sports start. In other words, I know it's hard to kind of still go through the same reps and sprints and that kind of thing, but they're having fun getting in shape for those winter sports and winning and, and being competitive too. Is that, is that was is that kind of the draw for them coming out here for this? I think some of them wanted to come and say, hey, I'm going to get in shape, be ready for my winter sport. But I think others just want to truly play football. And so I think the draw is for them to be able to get out here and see kind of what they've been seeing throughout uh, high school when they go to the guys game and stuff like that. And it's their turn to be on the field and to be able to, you know, do some of them same reps, run some of them same routes, break out for a touch down and just get that experience so i think just the game itself is what brings them out you have uh, you have one aspen who played actually played football uh, last year on the, for the guys and she's got a different kind of speed and a different aggressiveness to her too and uh does that kind of carry over to some of their teammates they see her playing and going full out because she's had that full contact before and they kind of want to get to that level too well i think especially on the defensive end you'll see some girls just really going all out to pursue uh whether it's the quarterback whether it's the runner receiver to go get the flag um aspen she goes out she'll lay her body on the line we've seen a couple girls in practice doing that now and uh i think cynthia these last couple games she really stepped up and she's really going hard at it like aspen so i think she's a great example especially on the defensive end for those girls and how you play the game how you how you can uh, you know pull flags effectively, and so uh, Aspen is a, is definitely a go getter for us. Yeah, you got a girl like Tegan who's all you know full motor all the time anyway, yeah. and you know, she's had a couple runs this year, long runs for touchdowns. So it's it's good to see her out here, and of course you know her well too. Yeah, now T does a great job, and you know when we first came out and I was putting her at center, I think she was looking at me a little crazy. But with <laughs> with everybody being eligible, you know we can do some things, we can disguise some things, we can disguise our um, you know our hook and ladder because typically that comes with a running back so we can take the center coming off and getting some stuff and then if we can get her behind defense we can get her the ball and uh typically that's a good thing so she got great hands and great speed you see i saw a couple trick plays out there you kind of opened up the you know page four or five of the playbook today a little bit didn't you yeah we had to let them uh you know give them a different look let them think about some things and then um you know at the end when we just ran it uh maya she started doing things that we're trying to tell her to do is like it's not always a sprint to the sideline. If they're going that way, you can cut in. Let's cut in. Let's do some different things, get some people to miss. And so we can run the ball and then have them worried about the run, and then it can open up stuff for the pass. With being the girls' basketball coach here, coming off a of state title, I know you're trying to build and trying to get involved in that. Did you get go to meet with your girls here and – encourage them to come out to play football or was it kind of a you know this would be good for you to learn different skills to put on the basketball court well i didn't actually go to many of them at all um the ones I actually went to were playing other sports. They, uh, one was going to play volleyball, one really didn't want to do it. But the other ones had came to me and just said they were going to come out as soon as they heard it. And so um, the girls that came out just came out because they wanted to be out. And they were they had their mind made up even when we didn't have a coach. And so, um, you know, it wasn't like, hey, let's, let's go out and let's do this. But um, we try and encourage the girls to play multiple sports. And so what a great one to do if you're not doing anything in the uh, fall already. 
and they're used to your training methods and coaching, so they didn't have to adjust to that. They just had to tell the get the girl, get the, oh, he's easy. Come on out and come on out and play. Yeah, he's nothing, and we're going to get in shape and be, be fine to get him to come out, right? Uh, I don't know what they did. I, apparently, uh, Aubrey, when they asked what's the difference between me and basketball and me out here, she's like, oh, he's a lot softer out here. <laughs> so, so I see, guess I'm softer out here. See, so you got to get him to come out and, and, and get him in, and then they're stuck here, right? Exactly. <laughs> Once we get in and as we start moving towards something a little bit more, I guess I'll have to uh, – toughen up a little bit. Uh, well, hey, great start to the season. I know you're going to have a lot of road games from this point on. That brings up another challenge, but uh, what a great year, a way to start the program, and uh, I'm sure there's more wins to come, and hey, maybe just second straight state championship, back-to-back. Hey, if we can get it, we'll take it. There you go. All right, Tyrone Johnson joining us here. Congratulations, Coach. We'll All talk right. to you soon. Thank you, my man. The Eagles will host Canyon View and Flagstaff on Tuesday, and you know, kind of hinted there in, in the interview that you know, hey, it could be a second straight state championship, but I'm kind of wondering, I'm going to check with the AIA on this, if there's been any coach that won two straight state championships in Arizona sports history in two different sports. That would be incredible. So we'll, I'll, I'll double check that, on that. That's a great stat. All right, very good. Sports Around the Mountain with Dave Zorn. All right, before we wrap it up, we've got our final segment of the week. It is time for crunch time. Dave, I'm going to start with you. Boy, I'm just jacked up from that. I have to get my speed here. Something happened over the weekend that's happened for some time. National Sports Network's confusing Arizona State and Arizona football programs. It's happened for at least 20 years. ESPN has done the majority of these mistakes, from play-by-play announcers saying touchdown Wildcats when ASU scores to sending out push notifications from ESPN saying the Wildcats beat Rhode Island in basketball when it was actually ASU. That happened in 2020. Over the weekend, it happened again, this time on the Pac-12 network of all networks. During Arizona's game against UTEP in Tucson, a graphic appeared on the screen saying first and 10. It was maroon and gold, ASU's colors with a pitchfork. What's worse, the Wildcats had the ball at their own 45-yard line where the big red, white, and blue A stood out in the midfield. It's almost becoming a running joke between fan bases, but it happens every year, and it's actually one thing both fan bases can agree on. Get it right. But why ASU and Arizona? You don't hear people saying Michigan Spartans or the Michigan State Wolverines, do you? Or you don't hear the Oregon State Ducks and the Oregon Beavers or the UCLA Trojans and the USC Bruins. It's just an aptitude out of the broadcasters and lack of preparedness, and it irritates me every year. Well, more importantly, uh, ASU, uh, or excuse me, I just did it. U of A <laughs> covered last week. So Perfect. 17-point underdogs or uh, favorites, and that was a big win for them. It was UTEP. It's still, a, it's still a win and a cover. Nice job, Bill, proving Dave's <laughs> Great job. We All didn't right. play that either. <laughs> yeah. All right, Bill, you're next up. Okay. Um, I, my crunch time this week's on managing your expectations. I have a good friend in California, Greg West, who it's on a different topic, but it's going to apply here. You need to be a fan, and you need to support your team. We give Dave here a lot of grief for being a homer, but he sticks with his teams, the Sun Devils, the Diamondbacks, and Cardinals. Nothing worse than a guy whose favorite team changes every year depending who is contending for a Super Bowl or the World Series. But you have to be objective. Your team is not always going to win championships. Are they good? Are they better than most? Do they win more than they lose? Do they contend every year? Do they have a good organization supporting them? Longtime cherished and loved franchises that don't have a Super Bowl win. Vikings, Bills, the Cardinals, the Browns. These are big-time programs. Your team's not going to win every year. These teams and cities would go crazy for a Super Bowl or World Series appearance. Again, be a true fan. Support your team and your hometown team. And again, just try to manage your expectations a bit. 
Amen to that. I, I have a former coworker that grew up in Boston most of his life, moved out to Arizona, and once he stepped foot in Arizona, dumped all the Boston teams and, and took on all the Arizona teams. That's hard to do. We gave him more crap for that than actually being a homer or being a bandwagon fan for the Arizona Yeah, teams. you don't have to give up You know your, your traditional team just because you moved to another location, which, thank goodness, I haven't. Bill, <laughs> I am going... I'm going to jump on the whole fan situation also, but I'm going to take a little bit different angle. Listen, fanatic fan doesn't justify criminal behavior. True. Deion Sanders stood up for Henry Blackburn on Tuesday after the Colorado State uh, safety received death threats for a late hit that sent Colorado's two-way star Travis Hunter to the hospital with a lacerated liver. We saw that. It was terrible. It was a bad hit. He said, that's absurd for people to be threatened. He says, at the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win. Someone must lose. Everybody continues their life the next day. Very unfortunate. That from head coach Deion Sanders. And I, I want to say thank you, Deion, for standing up for Henry Blackburn, not one of your players. But this shouldn't even have been necessary. Death threats. This is a further indication that the fan in the fanic, in the fan in fanatic is truly synonymous with these words. Addict, bigot, extremist. Fiend, freak, maniac, militant, and in this case, nut. Come on, people. Don't let the fan in you turn you into a criminal. True. Wow. Very good point. All right. For my crunch time this week, another team that's 2-0 that we didn't think that was going to be 2-0 is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield. I think this is a resurgence of Baker Mayfield. I know he had a tough time when he was at the Browns, but he seemed to actually become a student of the game while he was away. And when he came to the Buccaneers, he really wants to try and turn that program around, knowing that he's coming in for a guy like Tom Brady. They still have all their offensive weapons like Godwin and Mike Evans. So I think they're actually going to have a bigger surprising year than we initially thought. We all thought they were going to be terrible. I think they're actually might make a playoff push. You know, what's funny is, is I saw, I think it was just last week, where uh, they had a mic on Baker Mayfield or, had, or something pointing at him. And b- before they took a knee to win the game, he got all his offensive linemen around and goes, all right, boys, we're going to celebrate the win in the showers with a big hug tonight, right? <laughs> he just seems like he's a different to, player. You have to <laughs> kind of know Baker Mayfield and see his humor, like in past hard knocks and stuff, to understand how funny that is, too. Yeah, he just seems like a completely different player since joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm actually really excited for him. He was a really touted prospect coming into the NFL. And I know some guys like Johnny Manziel that was kind of like that same stature didn't really pan out but and never really resurrected their career. But it seems like Baker is doing a great job with the t- Tampa Bay team. All right, we can hope. We will see what it looks like. God, guys, great job. That's going to do it for this week. For Casey Everett, Dave Zorn, Bill Unkovich, I'm Jeff Kennedy. Thanks for listening once again. And remember... National security is not at stake. We're not solving the world's problems. We're just talking sports. That's all it is. Now, what are you going to do? Good morning. Morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. So this is Vin Scully wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon wherever you may be.